This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. It is seven minutes past nine o'clock. Welcome to a Wednesday morning wake-up call here on Sports Country Radio. Appreciate you spending a few minutes with us this morning as we work our way around the world of sports, mostly working our way around the world of baseball. The uh, playoffs continuing yesterday. The NHL season kicked off last night. That was a lot of fun. Um, I... (laughs) Yeah, we'll get to this a little bit more later, but, you know, and uh, what a circus <laughs> goes on for the uh, opening of uh, the Las Vegas Golden Knights games. I, I don't, Look, and I know that people are like, you know, we're raving about this. I was uh, listening to the first game with uh, Sean McDonough yesterday doing the game between Pittsburgh and Tampa, and he's talking about, you know, what a what, it's like a Las Vegas, you know, stage show. What a thing. You got to see it. It's great. If you haven't been to a game, in Ve- look, if I'm going to a hockey game, I'm not going to see a Las Vegas floor show. I'm going to a hockey game to watch a hockey game. The crap that they do pregame is over the top. It would drive me crazy. It really would. You know, and, you know, I, I don't mean to be a get off my lawn guy, but that. I guess that's kind of what I am because, you know, I just want to I want to go to a game. You know, it's like you go to NBA games now and they pump in all this noise, this constant music and just crap. You know, they let the game breathe. You know, at least at a baseball game, yeah, okay, they play some music maybe between innings. But by and large, you know, the game is, you know, you, you let it breathe. And it's just, it's kind of maddening for some of these sports that, that just ah. Anyway, we'll get to that in a little bit. Jeez, ah, I'm starting off a little cranky this morning. Hey, by the way, uh, Captain Kirk is going to space today. Uh, William Shatner is launching into space today at uh, any time now, around no- dawn in Texas, uh, on a Blue Origin rocket. Uh, of course, that's Jeff Bezos's company, and. Uh, William Shatner is 90 years old. God bless him. 90 years old and going in his... And by the way, you know, I know he dyes his hair and all this, but Jesus, you know, and he's put on a few pounds. But Jesus, he's 90 years old. You look at the pictures of this and you watch the interview. He doesn't look 90 years old. God, I wish I could look that good and I'm 61. <laughs> but anyway, so he's going up into space today and he's made no bones. He's actually come out and said, uh, you know, that he's scared to death, you know, and I saw him, he said, he says, you know what I'm looking forward to coming down <laughs> and, and look, the flight's fully automated. It's not like, you know, it's going to be beam me up Scotty or, you know, uh, warp factor Four. this is, uh, you know, he's going to the fringes of space. The whole thing's going to take 10 or 11 minutes and he'll be back down and he got a couple of minutes of weightlessness, I, but good for him. You know, it's one of those things I've always said, 
you know, I've always wanted to go to space. And it's it's not going to happen. I'm 61 and I'm not I'm not rich. I mean, if I was loaded, I suppose I could probably buy a ticket on, you know, uh Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk or even Richard Branson's deal and 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 go up, but I don't have that kind of money. You know, it's not going to be a commonplace for somebody my age, but good for William Shatner. I think it's really cool. Uh, I wish I could go. I wish I could go. So, uh, but I just, I just, I saw that the interview yesterday and I just, uh, it, it just tickled me and it just, uh, you know, I, I got to imagine, you know, when that show originally aired right back and it was in the late sixties and it was much, much, must watch TV. And it was right after color TV came out and oh my God, it was the greatest thing ever for me. Somebody who was fascinated with space. But I've got to imagine when William Shatner was filming that show and when later on when he did the movies and all this, the thought that he would actually ever be able to go to space, he had to think that was laughable. It had to be like the farthest thing from his mind that that could actually ever happen. And now here we are, 2021. I mean, the, the guy's 90 years old and he's going up. So good for him. I hope all goes well. I hope there's no... <laughs> You know, I hope there's no accidents, you know, and uh, I just wish it was me, you know, but uh, really kind of a cool thing. All right. uh, Before we get to yesterday's baseball games, the whole uh, uh, fallout and garbage and crap or whatever you want to call it over the whole John Gruden thing continues. And now there are calls, the NFL Players Association, some lawyers from the employees, uh, former employees of the Washington football team want the NFL to release or make public more of the emails that they found as part of their investigation. The NFL says they have hundreds of thousands of emails. Hundreds of thousands of emails. But they said that there's nothing in them that is uh, uh, relevant and nothing. they're not going to release anything else. So what we've seen is all we're going to see. You know, and, uh, you know, Bruce Allen, you know, uh, of the Washington football team said, you know, uh, is beside himself and, you know, he's uh, uh, won't even talk to reporters at this point. Daniel Snyder, who has been involved in, you know, the, the whole scandal, which is why the, the investigation was launched by the NFL to begin with, has been radio silent. Shocking, right? Um, but I don't know if there really is cause for the NFL to release more. You know, there's, it, a lot of people want to know, you know, how pervasive is this culture in the NFL? Is it a commonplace thing and I talked about this yesterday look I worked in division one college athletics for a long time I worked in college athletics for over 25 years and I have been around a lot of football teams and I have been on the sidelines for NFL games I'm telling you that maybe it's not I don't know if common would be the right word but it is there. It is very, uh, it, you know what? I'm sorry. It is. It's kind of common. 
there is a lot of homophobic talk in locker rooms. There is a lot of homophobic talk by coaches who are calling kids, you know, the P word. I'm not going to say it, but the P word. You know, you, you, can't, you can't run fast enough. You can't run hard enough. You can't hit hard enough. You're a P, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. Or you are a faggot, which, by the way, was one of the words. I, I'm using that one, but that's one of the words that was used by John Gruden in his email, in, in his emails. You know, you know, what are you, a homo? That kind of stuff goes on all the time. Some of the some of the tirades that I have heard coaches use against players that they don't think are giving their maximum effort is I don't want to say it's shocking and and look if I told you that sometimes I heard some of the comments made by football coaches and it didn't make me laugh I'd be lying but it doesn't make it right but it happens, and it doesn't happen just in football. It happens in sports. I have some friends, great friends, who were college coaches in sports other than football. And if a kid was deemed to be not tough enough, there were terms used to uh, question their masculinity. That's that's the kind way of putting it. So it ha- if you th- if that happens at the college level and at the high school level, you damn well know it happens at the pro level where there are millions and millions and millions of dollars on the line and jobs on the line because if you don't perform, you don't have a job. Not just as a player, but as a coach. As, you know, I mean, it's as a general manager, it, I'm telling you, it's prevalent. I'm telling you, it's everywhere. It may be quiet, but it's everywhere. Look, John Gruden wasn't walking around the sidelines in Tampa and in Oakland and calling people, you know, homophobic slurs and, and uh, you know, uh, racial slurs and everything else. You know, he wasn't doing it publicly where people could hear it and, you know, reporters could report on it or it might be picked up on a microphone, but you damn well know it happened in the locker room. You damn well know it happened in team meetings. You damn well know it happened in meetings between coaches and the front office and obviously in emails. And if you think John Gruden is the only one that did this in the NFL, I've got a bridge in Brooklyn to sell you. Now, having said all that, as I said yesterday, the homophobic comments are one thing, you know, and and him questioning that, saying that the NFL pressured Jeff Fisher to draft uh, Michael Sam, who was the first openly gay player in the NFL, and, you know, and uh, Jeff Fisher had to come back on social media yesterday and say, hey, look. Uh, I need to clarify this, you know, that we selected Sam based on his production, you know, and Michael Sam, by the way, was the SEC co-defensive player of the year in 2013. 
So when the Rams drafted him in 2014, uh, wasn't exactly a shock. It was the right thing to do. And Jeff Fisher said, by the way, the NFL never encouraged or discouraged me regarding the selection of any player, including Michael Sam. You know, so Gruden didn't even have his facts straight. But the homophobic things aside, and look, it's wrong, okay, especially in this day and age with what's going on. You know, when I was in high school back in the 70s, you know, if you were gay, that was like, you know, you you damn well never said anything. And, you know, calling somebody a faggot or whatever was a a common thing, and nobody thought anything of it. it was, you know, but that was 45 years ago. Times change. You know, and, and as the father of a gay daughter, I damn well am sensitive to that kind of stuff. You know, but that aside, what's even worse for John Gruden, as I, and I said this again yesterday, and this is the part, if they're going to get to the bottom of anything, this is the part that is concerning to me, is the racial thing. Saying a player has lips the size of Michelin tires, not a good look, John, especially when the majority of your roster is black. And in the NFL, with such a huge percentage of players being of color, and the fact that the majority of the head coaches in the NFL and assistant coaches are white. The fact that people of color are still having issues getting head coaching positions in the NFL, you know, is a problem. You know, Eric Bieniemy is a guy that everybody thought should be a head coach. He couldn't get a damn job, and he was on the team that won the Super Bowl. And is on a team that took the, the Chiefs to the Super Bowl last year and ended up losing it to Tom Brady. But this is a guy who's one of the hottest assistant coaches in the NFL and can't get a job because we're going to keep hiring white guys. So, yeah, there is a problem in the NFL. And John Gruden is now the face of that problem. Now, I'm not saying that the NFL needs to release these hundreds of thousands of emails because if they did that, oh, my God, can you imagine the carnage? Because people would pick those emails apart for any word or any phrase that they thought was not right, and they would be calling for the pitchforks, and they would be calling for people's heads. I mean, look what happens on social media now. You know, a comedian made a joke, you know, uh, a, you know, a few years ago, and now we're going to say this guy is, you know, uh, needs to be canceled. You know, a kid when he was 15 years old made, uh, you know, some kind of comment, and now that kid is the worst kid on the face of the earth and should never be drafted. You know, we need to, we need to stop, we need to stop holding kids accountable as if they were adults because they're idiots, because they're kids. 
But John Gruden is a 58-year-old man, and this stuff happened 10 years ago. He was 48 years old. This isn't some kid, you know, doing a stupid thing. This is a, an adult who's a racist, and he can say he's not a racist all he wants. You don't make comments like that without being a racist, period. That's the more concerning part to me. You know, and, uh, you know, If we have a situation in the NFL where black players or black coaches can't get head coaching jobs, even though the NFL has a policy in place where supposedly, you know, teams have to interview players of color or coaches of color, it becomes a check the box. You know, we're going to check the box. We're going to uh, we're going to interview these black candidates, but we're not really going to hire them, but we're going to check the box. And I'm telling you right now, it's. Very common. I don't know how we get to the root of the problem. But, you know, Roger Goodell's got to be held accountable for some of this. But at the end of the day, John Gruden is now the face of the problems for the NFL. All the billions of dollars that the NFL makes doesn't, you know, on the backs of of a lot of black athletes and you have situations like this, what does that say about your league? And and I don't know. Look, I don't, what are we going to do? What's the NFL going to do? They're going to go to every team and say, okay, we want to see every email that any coach has ever sent that's on your server. They, I don't even know if legally they can do that. I'm not sure how that, you know, I don't know what the legal ramifications of that would be. But there, I believe, and, and maybe, you know, uh, you could say I'm wrong because I'm not in an NFL locker room. I've never been in an NFL locker room. I've been on the sidelines for NFL games, and I've been in a lot of college and high school locker rooms, and I can tell you it happens there. I've never been in an NFL locker room, so maybe you're going to tell me that I'm completely wrong. I don't think so because I'm telling you right now that that is part of the culture of the sport. It is a macho sport, you know, as far as, you know, questioning people's uh, masculinity. It's normal. The racial part of it, there is no excuse for that at all at any level. And I will tell you, I never ever, ever heard that at any college I ever worked at. So John Gruden has been exposed, in my opinion, as a racist. You know, and you can say I'm, I'm overblowing it, but I don't believe I am. You don't make comments like he made without having, without being, a, there's no other word for it. I'm sorry. He's a racist. Is he out burning crosses on somebody's lawn? Well, no, but it doesn't matter. You, it, it, it's to say, you know, you just don't do that. You know, are you going to walk up on the street and to a black guy and, and, and say that to him? No. But you think you can do it in an email because you can get away with it. Or, you, you know, guys maybe do that joking with their buddies because they think it's funny. It's not funny. It's racist. I don't care where it's done or how it's done or when it's done. It's racist.
So, uh, and the Tampa Bay Bucks yesterday took down John Gruden's name from their ring of honor on Raymond James Stadium. So he has been canceled in Tampa. And while I am not a fan of cancel culture per se, I think that it, you know we have gone way too far and we have let the mob dictate what's acceptable you know, in terms of uh, behavior. But in a situation like this where somebody has come out and made homophobic, sexist, and racial slurs, that's the trifecta, ladies and gentlemen. This isn't, you know, this isn't like, you know, knee-jerk cancel culture. This is three strikes and you are out, my friend. You, 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 you had things to say about female referees. You had things to say about people that are uh, gay. And you had things to say about people who are black. You're out of everything. And he should never be allowed to step foot in a television or radio studio or in a booth or on a field or in a locker room at any level for the rest of his life. And he's 58 years old. And look, as I have said, I am all for people getting second chances when they make mistakes. This is not just a mistake. This is a pattern of behavior over a long period of time. This isn't just an isolated mistake because everybody can make those kinds of mistakes. This is just a bad person. And I and and, and look, I've told I've said from the beginning, I can't stand John Gruden. I always disliked him. I always thought he was an overrated coach. I couldn't stand his facial expressions on the sideline. He was named you know, known as Chucky. You know, and his his just his arrogant attitude. Never liked the guy. So is there a little bit of glee, you know, that this guy has been exposed as the fraud and as the the uh, cretin that he is? Yeah, I guess so. You know, I'm human. But I don't know that anything would be gained over the NFL releasing any more emails. So I'm kind of glad they're not going to do that. But John Gruden is getting exactly what he deserves. End of story. Okay. Uh, second thing before oof, before we get to baseball. Uh, another beauty with what's going on in the, the uh, world today. Kyrie Irving. Great talented basketball player. Bullethead. Although I should say bullethead. He went to Duke for God's sake. But Kyrie Irving, who at one time, by the way, was trying to tell us that the world was flat. Right? This is the same the same guy that to, that was convinced that the world was flat, that the earth was flat, is an anti-vaxxer and has refused to get the vaccine. So yesterday, the Brooklyn Nets told Kyrie Irving that he has a choice. You either get the vaccine or you take the season off. It's pretty simple. Now, Kyrie Irving is making $34 million a year, and he's playing with two of the best players in the game, Kevin Durant, James Harden, uh, you know, and uh, at 29 years old, he's got an opportunity to win an NBA title if he, you know, will just do the right thing. But Kyrie Irving is one of these guys that, you know, along with the earth is flat and everything else, likes to just go against the grain. This is a guy that last year, you know, was against the, when they had the bubble for the NBA 
you know, during the pandemic and they brought all the teams into a bubble and they played all the games down in Florida. Fought against the NBA doing that. Last year decided that there were just some games he just didn't want to play in. He, he had to take them off for personal reasons. And then you find out he's been out partying. You know, this is an idiot. You know, and he does a lot of good things for charity. You know, and this is what, you know, the hard thing to deal with him is that he does a lot of good things in the community, but then he does like stupid things like this and acts selfish. 96% of the players in the NBA have gotten vaccinated. 96%. Kyrie Irving, who is on one of the best teams in the NBA, arguably one of the two or three best teams in the NBA, and is arguably playing, uh, is one of the 10 best players in the NBA, refuses to get vaccinated. You know, and you have guys like Michael Jordan, one of the greatest players of all time, and the owner of the Charlotte Hornets saying that, hey, uh, you know, I'm with the league and I believe in the science and, you know, uh, Charles Barkley, Shaq, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, all these great former players have come out and said, get the damn shot. And 96% of the people have. Kyrie Irving refuses to, so Kyrie Irving is not going to play for the Nets until he gets the shot. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means that he will not get paid for home games because he cannot play. Now, if there are games in uh, arenas where uh, on road games where he would still be eligible to play without the shot because there's no uh, mandates for the vaccine, yada, yada, yada. Well, he'll get paid for those games. So what's that mean? It means he's probably going to make about $10 million out of the 34 he's owed. And by the way, he's going to get that for not playing. You know, and there's nothing. The problem is there's nothing in the contract that says, you know, there's no pandemic clause in the contract because when he signed the contract, there was no such thing. So they have to, you know, this is a personal choice on his part, and it's a personal choice of the Brooklyn Nets to not have him around their team because they cannot run the risk of him infecting the rest of their team. And there have been a couple of players in the NBA that have come down with COVID. Uh, One of the players from the Boston Celtics just came down with or tested positive. So it's still out there. And so they can't run the risk of having an unvaccinated player around James Harden and Kevin Durant. So he sits. And he just continues to prove to America what an idiot he is. So that's the idiot segment, John Gruden and Kyrie Irving. 33 minutes past the hour. We're going to take a break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 35 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call here on a Wednesday morning, the 13th day of October. By the way, programming note, no show tomorrow. Uh, We will be here on Friday, but no show tomorrow. We've got uh, a bunch of showings in the house tomorrow. tomorrow um, as well as this afternoon as we uh, we get ready to make our transition down south so uh, but we've got some showing scheduled tomorrow morning when I normally would be doing the show so no show tomorrow uh, but again Dan Zampano is going to join us for Friday's show so I hope you uh, can be here for that um, and now the NFL by the way some bye weeks this week as the uh, teams will begin having uh, their off week during the middle of the season so every week we'll have uh, four or five teams or six teams that will not be playing. And uh, that starts 
this week. So a little bit of an abbreviated schedule for the next several weeks around the NFL. Uh, baseball yesterday. So the Red Sox now know who they will play in the ALCS, and it will be the Houston Astros. Um, I, I, I am not really surprised by this. There were a lot of people that were. I mean, the the Chicago White Sox were the sexy pick this year. Look, they've got some great young players. Uh, they've got the reigning AL MVP and Jose Abreu and, look, Tim Anderson and Luis Robert, Yoan Moncada, uh, Eloy Jimenez. I mean, this team is just loaded. So you can understand why a lot of people thought that they, you know, had the pedigree to get there, not to mention having a Hall of Fame manager. Well, they got bombed by the Astros yesterday uh, in game four, 10 to one. Uh, Carlos Rodon, who was so great during the regular season, lasted just two and two thirds. Uh, Michael Kopech came out of the bullpen again and was awful. Michael Kopech, who came over to the White Sox, of course, from the Red Sox in the trade that sent Chris Sale to Boston, uh, got lit up every time he appeared in this series. Uh, so it was uh, kind of a brutal day for the White Sox. They get bounced. Lance McCullers Jr. got the start for Houston, went the first four, struck out five, walked three, had to leave the game with some forearm tightness. So this is something now, if you're the Red Sox and you're Houston, you have to be a little bit concerned by Uh you know, he was really good for four innings, but then that arm uh, tightened up on him. He said, you know, he said after the game, he said, look, I don't think it's anything to do with the ligament. He said, but I'm going to have to wait and see and see how I feel tomorrow. Get some imaging done if we need that. And, you know, it, but that has to be concerning if you are the Houston Astros, Lance McCullers, who has been so good for you this year. Uh, that would be a big blow to this Astros pitching staff if he is not available for the ALCS uh, you know, you don't want to go too crazy with it. You know, we'll see what the what the pictures show today. Uh, but Lance McCullers during the regular season today, uh, during the regular season this year, I mean, was great. And there's no other way uh, to put it. So uh, we'll see how that works out. And look, the usual cast of characters showed up for the Astros yesterday. Jose Altuve, three hits, three runs batted in. Michael Brantley, three hits, two runs batted in. Alex Bregman, a home run, a couple of runs batted in. Carlos Correa, Two hits, two runs batted in. You know, this team is stacked. Red Sox played them seven times this year. Houston won five of the seven. You know, the Red Sox, uh, this is not going to be easy. Now, having said that, Boston's healthy. You know, they've got Chris Sale back. Nathan Evaldi has been one of the best pitchers in the American League. You know, if, if Erod pitches the way he pitched in uh, game four for the Red Sox, you know, you have to at least give the Red Sox a puncher's chance. We know this lineup can score a lot of runs, uh, but this is a very, very good Houston team. And one of the things Houston really did this year is they improved their bullpen. Making the trade for Kendall Graveman was huge. Ryan Stanek, who came over from Tampa, has been great. Uh, Yimmy Garcia uh, pitched well. You know, so they have improved this bullpen tremendously. So the Red Sox have their hands full, no question about it. But it looks like Nathan Evaldi will be lined up. He'll have four days of rest to pitch game one uh, against the Astros. That series is going to start on Friday. The big question now for the White Sox, what do they do about their manager, Tony La Russa? He was signed to a one-year contract. Of course, he's 77 years old. 
There was a lot of talk of, oh, he's too old. He's not going to be able to relate to these younger players. You know, look, uh, he did just fine. You know, where there's some bumps in the road early. Yeah, he's an old school kind of guy. You know, just like I'm an old school kind of guy. It's, you know, uh, but this is a guy that knows how to push the right buttons. And the fact that they got bounced out of this series, it wasn't because of what Tony La Russa did right or wrong. This was Tony La Russa. I mean, he, look, he put the same lineup out there he had put out all season long. But players play, coaches coach, and if players don't perform, it doesn't matter how good your, your manager is. You know, I think Tony La Russa deserves to come back for another year if he wants to, uh, and it seems like he does. But what he said when he was asked about it, he said, look, he says, I'm not going to talk about myself. He says, uh, uh, you know, once I got into this a little bit, he said, I just realized, you know, I just asked myself this question, do they want you back? And he said, if they don't want me back, I just leave. And if they say, yes, they do want me back, he said, then I'm going to talk to the players. He said, and if the players want me back, then I'll come back. You know, and there was, you know, some some uh, conversations early with uh, Tim Anderson about, you know, because he's a free spirit and there was some things, you know, about some other things players did that uh, Tony La Russa didn't agree with and there were some tough conversations that went on. But, you know, the starter for game four, Carlos Rodon, called him, you know, a special manager. You know, he said it was a, that it was a pleasure to play for him. He said not many guys can say they played for a Hall of Fame manager, and that's true. But if the White Sox want him back, and there's no reason, I don't see any reason why they wouldn't. But then Tony LaRusso said, I'm going to talk to the players. And, and it, you know, it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see if the players are honest with him. No, no, Coach, we really don't want you back. You're too old. Get the hell out of here. You know, but if if he's really if he really does that, it's going to be interesting uh, to see how that transpires. But to me, there's no reason why you don't bring him back. Uh, and speaking of managers, uh, the uh, uh, Buster only reported yesterday that all indications are is that the Yankees will bring back Aaron Boone as their manager. Now Boone's contract expired at the end of the season, and uh, there were there was no talk of an extension during the year. Hal Steinbrenner is a fan of Aaron Boone's, and he has made comments about, you know, that the failure of the Yankees this year wasn't on the manager, that it was on players who underperformed. And you know what? They did. Gary Gary Sanchez sucked. You know, all right, he ended up with 20, 25 home runs, but he sucked. He's still an awful defensive catcher, and he hit like 220. You know, you've got uh, guys like Rudnett Odor who hit like 220. You know, Brett Gardner, who they brought back and who's a good defensive outfielder, but God love him, he's, you know, his better days are behind him. This is another guy who hit, you know, in the low 200s. You know, uh, they had, you know, guys that were hurt. I mean, Aaron Judge missed a bunch of time. John Carlos Stanton missed a bunch of time. John Carlos Stanton was as hot as a firecracker at the end of the season. You know, maybe if they stay healthy, things are a little bit different. You know, they had a bunch of pitching injuries. At the end of the day, I really don't think Aaron Boone was the problem with the New York Yankees. But for whatever reason, Yankee fans don't like him, which is odd. He's kind of become the scapegoat for fans with the New York Yankees. If you listen to New York Sports Talk Radio, they kill him. 
And look, I watched a lot of Yankee games. I can I can't point out an awful lot of times where I thought Aaron Boone mismanaged games. You know, and and frankly, you know, maybe they feel like you know they've got the talent. Maybe they feel a new voice will make the difference. Look, this is still a Yankee team that won a lot of games. You know, it wasn't like they won you know eighty one games and barely snuck in with all the adversity they had with all the injuries. You know, Severino and. You know, all their other pitchers that went down, they they lost one of the big members of their bullpen. Zach Britton was unavailable for most of the year. Um, you know, and the injuries to judge. And, yeah, look, you know, Luke Voigt was gone for a good part of the year. You know, they were just kind of snake bit in terms of injuries. They lost Gio Urshela for a time, Gleyber Torres for a time. So, I think Aaron Boone gets a pass. I think they've got to bring him back, but it's not my money. And it's going to be a question of whether Hal Steinbrenner feels like he needs to appease the fans and replace Aaron Boone because the fans don't like him. And by the way, if uh, if, if that happens, it would be the first time that a Steinbrenner ever caved to anybody. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, his, his father, George, sure as hell wasn't doing that. So we'll see. Uh, and uh, the other managerial position everybody wants to talk about is uh, out in San Diego. Jace Tingler, of course, got fired at the end of the year. A lot was expected of that Padres team, and they just absolutely imploded. Again, you know, the injuries to Fernando Tatis Jr. didn't help. The injuries to you Darvish didn't help. Uh, to uh, Denilson Lamette didn't help. I mean, they had a bunch of injuries this year. Mike Clevenger. I mean, you know... If everybody had stayed healthy, you know, maybe it's a different thing. But Jace Tingler did make a lot of missteps as a manager. And I think Jace Tingler had a hard time uh, keeping control of the clubhouse. So one of the names that has popped up and, you know, in the era of hiring old managers like Tony La Russa, uh, one of the names that has popped up as a candidate for that job is Buck Showalter. Now, Buck Showalter is, you know, he's been around the block 27 times known as a pretty good manager. You know, I, I you know, I, I I guess it would be fine, but again, that is a team with a lot of young talent. They do have a mix of veterans in there, but is Buck Showalter the right kind of guy? Ron Washington, uh, the uh is another name that has surfaced. Now, Ron Washington is is a great great coach. He was not a great manager. Of course, he was with the Texas Rangers, which isn't exactly, you know, the poster child for, you know, a great franchise. But he was not a great manager. You know, he may be better suited where he is right now, which is as a coach. But uh, he and Buck Showalter are the two names that have been floated the most often uh, for that job in San Diego. But as far as Aaron Boone goes, you got to bring him back. If you're the Yankees, I mean, and I have no dog in that fight. You know how I feel about the Yankees, but uh, I think he has to come back. It's 48 minutes past. Yeah, we're going to take one more break. We're back to wrap things up. You're listening to the wake up call on sports country. It's 49 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the wake up call here on a Wednesday morning. Few minutes left before uh, we head out. Uh, the Atlanta Braves punched their ticket to the NLCS yesterday. They beat the Milwaukee Brewers 5-4, and they did it in a rather uh, dramatic fashion. Well, of course, any time a late-inning home run wins a ball game, it's dramatic. But this was a, a rather unexpected what happened. Uh, Freddie Freeman 
hit one 428 yards in the uh, bottom of the eighth inning to give the Atlanta Braves the 5-4 lead, and then Will Smith finished it off to pick up his third save of the uh, playoffs. But what made this so miraculous is that it came off of Josh Hader, the uh, great relief pitcher for the Milwaukee Brewers. You know, and and why? Well, Josh Hader is a lefty. Freddie Freeman is a lefty. Josh Hader had not given up a home run to a left-handed batter in well over a year. The last time he gave up a homer to a lefty was to Jason Hayward during the abbreviated 2020 season. Josh Hader this season, folks, in the regular season, threw 59 innings. In those 59 innings, he gave up 25 hits the entire season. He only gave up three home runs all season. And he hadn't given up a home run since July the 28th. Now, he came into the game, into a tie ball game. And he struck out Eddie Rosario. He struck out Dansby Swanson. But he could not get Freddie Freeman. And uh, Freddie Freeman, the reigning NL MVP, wins the game for the Atlanta Braves, sending them to the NLCS. And look, uh, the Braves, you have to tip your cap to the Braves. When they lost... Ronald Acuna Jr. for the season. And and let's not also forget that they also lost Marcelo Zuna for the season because Marcelo Zuna got himself in trouble legally uh, with the domestic violence charges against him. So they lost him for the entire season. So they had to go out and kind of remake this team in the middle of the year. You know, so what did they do? They traded for Jock Peterson. They traded for Adam Duvall. And Jack Peterson has hit two home runs in this series, two pinch hit home runs. And Adam Duvall has been great for this team, had a couple of hits in the game yesterday. So, you know, the Braves, you know, they could have, you know, when they lost Acuna, they could have packed it in. And it looked for a while like they were in a lot of trouble. But, man, they now head to the NLCS, and they're going to be overwhelming underdogs to no matter who it is, whether it's the Dodgers or whether it's the Giants, and we won't know who that's going to be until the series returns to Los Angeles because the Dodgers, or to San Francisco, I'm sorry, because the Dodgers beat the Giants yesterday 7-2 to to force a Game 5 in that series. Of course, those two teams battled it out all season long. The Giants won the West with 107 victories. The Dodgers had 106. And this series has been great. It's been exactly, I think, what people expected. These two teams just going toe-to-toe. Mookie Betts yesterday, huge game, couple of hits, including a two-run homer. He drove in three. Will Smith with a two-run homer in the eighth inning that uh, basically put the game away. It was a 5-2 game at the time, and any thoughts of a comeback ended when he hit that two-run bomb in the bottom of the uh, eighth inning to make it 7-2. Gavin Lux with a couple more hits. Walker Bueller pitching on short rest for the first time in his career. He went to Dave Roberts. Um, 
in game two and said he wanted the ball for game four. So he was pitching on three days of rest. And he went four and a third innings, gave up just three hits and a run, struck out four, walked a couple. Said he felt great. Former Red Sox uh, bullpen man Joe Kelly came out of the bullpen, pitched two-thirds of He ended up getting credited for the win. Uh, but, it, again, that Dodger bullpen did a great job. Uh, Brewster Gretterall, uh, Blake Trinan all looked great coming out of there yesterday. Trinan struck out a couple of guys. Anthony DiScalfani got the start um, and uh, got roughed up. Lasted an inning and two-thirds. They had to get him out of there. But Gabe Kapler, look, it was a game where if San Francisco wins it, it's over. So DiScalfani gave up five hits and a couple of runs in an inning of two-thirds and was in trouble. Uh, Kapler got him out. They got out of that inning, but uh, the bullpen couldn't hold it, and uh, the Dodgers end up winning this thing. And now we will go to a game seven or game seven, game five on Thursday. Logan Webb is going to get the start for the Giants. He pitched the series opener. He struck out ten guys in seven and two-thirds innings. Beat Walker Bueller. Julio Urias... Uh, is going to get the start for the Dodgers. He is the only guy in Major League Baseball this year that won 20 games. Uh, and uh, he pitched game two. The Dodgers won that game 9-2, so that will be Thursday night, and the winner takes on the uh, the Houston Astros. Um, hockey yesterday, I already mentioned the Penguins and the Lightning. The Penguins beat the Lightning, and this is an understaffed Penguins team. Sidney Crosby and uh, Evgeny Malkin were both out. And yet the Penguins beat the Lightning, the defending Stanley Cup champions, 6-2. Now, uh, you know, it, it's kind of uh, deceiving because three of the goals that that uh, the Lightning or the Penguins scored were empty net goals. But they were up big. And, uh, you know, the Lightning got one late, and then they pulled the goaltender trying to get another one to get it close, but then the Penguins scored an empty net uh, empty netter to make it 4-1. And so we just went back and forth and uh, – uh, but very impressive victory for the Pittsburgh Penguins and uh, spoiling the raising of the banner in Tampa. Uh, and now the Penguins will play their next game in Florida on Thursday night, and the Lightning will uh, go on the road. They will play at Detroit on Thursday night. And as I said, I watched the uh, the end of the Vegas-Seattle game, but I watched the beginning first. The, the pregame thing for the Vegas Knights is just over the top would drive me nuts but uh, the Seattle Kraken in their first game in the NFL the expansion team fell behind three nothing did a great job coming back they made it a game they end up losing it four to three and they had the Kraken had a couple of opportunities in the final minute pulling the goaltender they had some great shots on goal couldn't get it past um, uh, Knights goaltender Robin Leonard who made 25 saves in that game uh, but uh, Max uh, Pacioretty with a couple of goals to uh, help the Golden Knights spoil the Kraken's NHL debut with a 4-3. But by the way, the Seattle Kraken uniforms, smoking. Love them. And I've never owned a hockey jersey in my life, but I'm actually thinking about getting one of that. The, the, uh, the kind of the uh, old English S on it and the colors are really cool. Uh, you know, I, that great great uniform i think probably the best uniforms in the nhl in their first season how about that that's going to do it for us here this morning we'll be back on friday no show tomorrow so we'll be back on friday with dan zampano to talk nfl football we leave you this morning with some music from paul simon it's paul simon's 80th birthday today uh and uh in honor of that we're going to play uh, a version of one of my favorite songs from simon and garfunkel the boxer 
Uh, this was from a concert in Central Park in New York back in 1991. So uh, Paul Simon will take us out. Happy birthday, Paul. You've been listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country.